give you just very quickly a little bit of background. We're just coming off of Saul's kingship. Now, Saul uh, is the king that people wanted. People said, we want a king, we want to look like the other nations. And God had sort of set it up that they didn't really need a king. God was king over them. They didn't have a monarchy, per se, but they say, look, we want to look like the other nations, and we don't look very good because we don't have a king over us. And God says, okay, fine. You get a king. And so the people uh, choose Saul. And Saul starts out pretty decently, um, but by the end of it, he's really kind of gone off the rails. Uh, at the very end, he's he's... Uh, God gives him instructions, and he kind of completely disobeys them, kind of twists them for his own ends, and then he tries to use worship to get back in God's good books, and God sends Samuel, the prophet, and just says, no, this isn't, this isn't working anymore. And we read in, uh, in chapter 13, if we didn't, didn't read, but I'll read this to you now, uh, Samuel says this over Saul, he says, your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out for himself a man who is loyal to him, and the Lord has appointed him to be leader over his people. For you have not obeyed what the Lord commanded you. So God takes it upon himself and says, I'm going to go find a new king who's loyal to me. I've had enough of this. It's not good kingness. And so David enters the story at this point. The first thing I want us to note is that as much as these might be David's stories, it begins with God. And we get clear right away, it's, it's about God's priorities more than anything else, right? So God's at the center, God's the focus here. It's not even David, not even Samuel. The, the important thing for us to note is before you and I ever get on the scene in life, God's already at work doing something. Before David enters his own story, God's already at work doing something. And that's important for us to remember too in our own stories. Uh, God's already doing things. And our task is to say, Lord, what are you already? What are you doing in my life? How can I be discerning of what you're up to in my, in your, in my life, in your story, in me, and respond to that well? So God's already at work. And, and I think the most striking feature about this passage is the fact that God's choice is not our choice. And it kind of comes up again and again and again, right? While we would evaluate on appearance or ability, uh, what we might see on outward, exterior, surface things, God doesn't care so much. He just looks at the heart, looks at the affections of our hearts. And I think the reverse is true, where we might see someone that's forgettable, God sees potential. Kind of works both ways. So God looks at David's heart and he sees a loyalty and devotion to God. And I think for us, right off the bat, we naturally have to ask, how much time do I spend working on my outward appearance and not on my heart? Like, how much time do I spend on my own competence, my looks, my reputation? Or, even if I, if I don't think I'm doing that very well, how much do my thoughts of my own body image dominate my thinking? That's a hard one. How much time do I spend actually thinking about outside things? And neglecting my inner life. Now we need healthy habits, right? Healthy lifestyles, all this sort of thing. God honoring decisions, but we can't forget to cultivate our inner lives. That's what God's looking for. That's what matters to him in this passage. It's neat, isn't it, that Jesse and even Samuel uh, automatically are looking at, at the outward things right off the bat, right? They see alive and a bit of doubt. But Samuel, who's the prophet, right? 
is in on what God is doing. He does this too. Like he automatically goes, well, this guy looks pretty good. He could be king. Why not? Right? But God pushes through all of that lives of demeanor of our hearts and our sort of soul health. So the very first question I have for us, I have a couple questions this morning. And I'll, I'll recap it all at the end, so don't worry. The very first question is, what does God see today when he looks at your heart? What does he see when he, when he looks at your heart? What does he see? What's there? What's there? That's the first question for us. The second thing I want us to know, right off the bat here, is that God's way really contrasts Jesse's way it's so backwards, it's so unthinkable that the first few sons wouldn't be chosen that David's, David's been completely forgotten by his father. And it's only after each son is rejected, you kind of see Samuel sort of flabbergasted, right? Following God's instructions. He's gone to the right family, he's gone to the right place. It's not panning out. Are you sure you don't have any more sons? You probably felt ridiculous asking the question, right? Are you sure? Should have brought them all. And Jesse's response is so telling. Well, there's the youngest, or the smallest, but he's out with the sheep. It's almost, there's a bit of a, there's something demeaning, actually. It's like saying, well, we've got the family bread. We've got the tips, but you got that. Sheep. Like, really? Does he count? Baby brother. He's out there. He's so forgot, he's so out of the way, no one even thought to invite him when Samuel came to town. Right? Like, imagine, you've got a small town. Everybody knows what's going on. Someone important comes to visit. You would, you know, and, and calls your family to come out and see him. You would think you'd bring your whole family to come see him. But David is completely forgotten by Jesse. It's sad. There's a there's a psalm later that David writes where he talks about his father and mother forsaking. And I wonder if there's some neglect going on in David's life. I think we are too easily capable of being like Jesse. Uh, when I moved to Vancouver, when Sarah and I were in Vancouver, it was probably one of the first times in my life I actually saw real homelessness. <laughs> Uh, you'll see it a little bit, maybe in Winnipeg, a little bit other day. Not, not a lot here, uh, but Vancouver. And I get off the get off the train, uh, right, not downtown, but a really busy intersection. Starbucks on the corner, another Starbucks that way, another one that way. It's ridiculous. Starbucks everywhere. Uh, Starbucks on the corner, and a London Drugs kind of right here. Uh, busy people milling about all over the place, and there's always someone sleeping right in front of Starbucks when you walk by. Always. Uh, and probably three or four just within that, that double block. There's something on the street. In their cardboard, little houses, maybe um, sleeping bag. It is so easy to see someone living in that condition and automatically make the judgment call. So easy. So easy. Well, what'd you do to get there? Right? Well, that's your fault you're there. So easy. That's a Jesse attitude. Just dismissive, forgetful. You don't really matter. Right? Every, <laughs> and everyone else is on doing their business, running around, right? And uh, 
school right there that you're, you're walking by. It was really hard growing up in Dryden and seeing that in the big city. You know, it was it was a bit of a wake up call. It's easy to just make that snap judgment and say, you know, um, I don't think you're worth my time. I don't think you're worth my my money, my attention. I think there's something here in Jesse's heart that's uh, all too easy for us to take on to see people and just forget them. Do more just dismiss them. But David's chosen not because of what Jesse sees, not even what Samuel sees, but what God sees. There's something deeply affirming that in the moments where I'm like Jesse, God isn't. In the moments of my life where I am ignorant and dismissive, uh, so critical and maybe cynical, God isn't. God is. God notices the ones that the society forgets. So the second question for us in this passage is, do I see people with the love and the compassion of God, or do I dismiss people with the attitude of Jesse? It kind of goes on the first question. What does God see when he looks at your heart? Is it dismissive and ignorant? Well, most people don't matter. Look at these people that I like. Am I like that? Am I like Jesse? Or am I do I have compassion or have God? Real simple kind of questions, hey. It's easy. It's easy to live and forget that God's compassion, God's generosity, that love in everyone. Really everyone. We see that over and over again by Jesus, right? He's eating and drinking with people that the religious people say, you shouldn't be with them. They don't deserve you. Jesus does it over and over. So, Did you stop talking to people? I, I have seen, I've talked to one, actually one guy, I was, I, was, uh, I was sitting on the side once, and this guy approached me, and he talked about, he asked where I was from, and I said, Ontario. Um, so we automatically assume Toronto, right? <laughs> you ever been traveling anywhere that this happens to you? And he started talking about being attacked by a bear. So we talked about bears for a little bit. <laughs> so we had something in common, you know, bears, wildlife, that sort of thing. It was neat. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was good. The third thing, the third thing, is that David's calling gives us a vision for what really deeply matters in life. We've just come off Saul's, Saul's leadership, right? He's the guy that looks like he should have it together. He looks good. He's from a good family, all this sort of thing. Doesn't pan out. Now God calls the ordinary shepherd boy, David, to the throne. And his best qualification isn't his education, isn't his family upbringing, because clearly his dad wasn't super great. It's his heart. It's his inward character. That's what matters so deeply to God. And I was reminded as I was thinking about this, about David's qualifications. I was thinking about Mary and Martha. Back in Luke 10, Mary and Martha's story, Jesus goes to, goes to visit their house, to visit Mary and Martha. And uh, Martha is just so busy getting the house ready for the meal. You know, she's sort of running around, doing stuff. And Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, think about Christmas that you just had. And think about all the work that had to go into some of those meals. 
and there's someone that should have been helping, not helping, right? Lazy. <laughs> what are you doing? That's what's happening here. And Martha calls her out on it, right? What are you doing? <coughs> Just sitting there at Jesus' feet. He gets after her. She gets after Mary. And Jesus tells Mary, uh, tells Martha, no, Mary's doing the one thing necessary. She's doing the best thing. Mary's at Jesus' feet. Learning from God, just resting in his presence. Um, and so Martha gets critiqued for her busyness. And I think Martha, perhaps like Jesse, is thinking a lot about the outward appearance of things and yet neglecting their souls. So Mary's tuning her heart to God, her life to God. And this, the, the Mary and Martha story becomes this kind of classic paradigm of the active and contemplative life for the Christian, that all of us, there's always action, there's always ministry, there's always serving to do. Uh, but there's also always our prayer, our inner life, and both matter to God. Both matter. I think for some of us, it's easier to be busy for God and more difficult to nurture our souls. Uh, because we're addicted to busyness, actually. We're just addicted to the frenzy of activity. To sit still is really hard for some of us. Mary sits still. I think David sits still, too. If God's choice David's any indication and Jesus' response to Martha's any clue, then God really longs for you to rest in his presence. He really does. And God wants to grow your inner life, your soul, your spiritual life. So the third question is, are we so busy with life that we neglect the health of our own souls? I think David actually, being forgotten of shepherding, ends up finding a lot of time in his job to spend with God. We'll talk about that more when we kind of look later on in his life. But are we so busy? Am I so busy with outward appearance stuff and so busy being like Jesse or like Martha that I've neglected my own soul health? And I, I'll admit, sometimes I am. I am. your pastor. But God's really need us in those places. So finally, the last thing. David finally enters his own story after a ridiculous selection process. And, and isn't it funny that, that the text would even say, well, he is handsome, actually? Right? Like, after all of that word appearance stuff, it doesn't matter. You'd almost expect David to show up and be kind of ugly. But he's not, like he's actually handsome. And, and the text makes a point of saying, no, no, like he's actually, he has beautiful eyes or something it says, right? Beautiful eyes, verse 12. He was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. So he actually is handsome in his own sort of adolescent <coughs> way, right? But we know God's looking for something deeper. We, we know this by now, right? We've come through the whole selection. We know that's not the point. He's looking at the affections of his heart. God says, this one. You want this one. So Saul, or Saul, uh, Samuel takes his horn of oil. It's probably like a liter or two of oil. He just dumps the whole thing on him. He would have ran, it would have just poured over him. If he had a beard, with an almond beard, you know, dripping down all his clothes, all over it, all over him. And, and anointing, why we do anointing here, is the picture of God's holy presence upon a person, um, signaling uh, the presence of the Spirit upon someone. And uh, that's exactly what happens, right? <coughs> Look at verse uh, 13. Samuel took a horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of the brothers. Can you imagine that? 
I'll be interesting conversation later, right? Brothers are probably put out at this point, right? Like you get to king potentially, and no, no, this guy wants like little brother, but he's not even old enough. Like he's just little. He's not even going to be king right now, you know. But they poured the oil on him, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. That's cool. And then notice what happens to Samuel. Samuel rose up and went to Rama. Samuel's work's done. He's like, I'm good. My career's over. And actually, the story does shift away from Samuel to David at this point. This is kind of the high point of Samuel's career. It's like, I'm good. I'm good. Did my part. Going to Rama. See you later. But perhaps you felt like David. There's something here uh, for, for anyone, anyone here this morning that's ever felt abandoned by your family or your friends. For anyone that's ever felt you've been in a job that's been really difficult and really demanding, or maybe kind of boring or lifeless, or you felt maybe you weren't worth much of anything because of how your family treated you, or maybe how your friends treated you, or just the way life went. Or maybe you, you have an aching for goodness and meaning in life. You're aching to be part of the story and make your part is life. If that's you, like David being called by God, Jesus calls you. He calls you. He chooses you. Like, he actually chooses you. Because he loves you. And it's not because of your accomplishments. It's not because of your intellect. It's not because of your good track record or lack thereof. It's not because of your family history. It's not because of your status or your wealth. He chooses you. It's not because of who you are and what you've done. He is his love for you. There's a picture here in, in David's calling to our calling also. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of Luke, Luke 14, 23. Jesus tells uh, the parable of the master who calls everyone to the banquet. And it's a picture of God inviting all people into his salvation. That's what's happening here. God chooses and calls you, even when you might feel you don't deserve it. You're not open. And notice, as we finish this, David's name is actually withheld to Mary. No one don't even name David. It's just sort of nameless through this whole passage until verse 13. The one who is unnoticed, uninvited, <laughs> now he's named. Now he gets his name. Friends, in God's presence, you are named. It's not that for no reason that one of the first things the resurrected Jesus does after morning in the new garden as the new creation, as the new Adam, his name is married by her name, and she recognizes him. In David's calling, we're meant to see that God wants to include all the ordinary men and women, all the plain folk like you and me, in his salvation, in his promises, in his kingdom, in his purposes, in his story. God wants to include all of you in what he wants to do. So hear this today. Jesus calls you by name. And at the cross, he, took, he takes your sin and death. He takes the things that would make you nameless and, and undoes them. He takes the penalty so that you can be named and made whole and saved, forgiven by his grace. 
That's what Jesus does. So the fourth question, Jesus is calling you. How will you respond? Let me let me reread all four of those as we head to the table. God chose David as the orientation of his heart. What does God see when he goes there? God sees David, even though he's forgotten by his family. Do I see people with the love and kindness of God, or am I just like Jesse? God looks for the one who has a heart tuned to him. Am I so busy in my life that I've neglected the care of my own soul? And God's desire is to include all men and women in his salvation. Everyone would like His desire is that none would perish. Everyone would have eternal life as they come to Christ in faith. So, fourth question. As God calls you, how do you respond?